0: politics, and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the Ageless Wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. KPFK on your radio. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. We're here every Tuesday at one in the afternoon and happy that you've chosen to join us. Hope you make it a habit to be with us. as Week after week, we talk about consciousness as awareness. And also, and this is something we touch on from time to time, I really think there's a a set of, uh, of values or a certain ethic that goes along with being more awake and aware, to be more conscious. What is expanded awareness? What is higher consciousness? It's more than the mindfulness of noticing what we notice or paying attention. There's really, a, again, I think a set of values, an exalted ethic that we find unfolding within us as we deliberately work on becoming more and more conscious. I'd like to mention that every once in a while, and I'll bet you we're going to touch on that a little bit today as we bring our guest on, Libby Moore, who is an executive assistant, and we're going to talk about her background and about what she's doing now. But we've decided to focus on what I think is going to be a really fascinating theme, and that's authenticity. How about that? That's what we're going to talk about today. I can remember, I'm not going to date myself, but going back eons, <laughs> we used to say as a figure of speech, hey, get real, right? Be real, you know, as as if uh, many people were not really in touch with the genuine and authentic part of their nature. And I think when we reflect on it, all of us realize that, you know, maybe the degree of realization varies It must, from individual to individual. But on some level, we know we're acting. We're assuming a personality. We're petitioning others for acceptance and approval. Uh, We want to belong. We want to be loved. And so we play a little game. And that's not a bad thing. Certainly, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to be brutally honest or unconscious. There's that word again unconscious of other people's feelings and our impact on other people but of course our emotions are our responses and so while others impact us and we impact other people with what we say and what we do even what we don't say (laughs) and what we don't do you know given the expectations we have in relationships I think it's real important for us to increasingly become open and honest and as authentic as possible, not just with other people, but with ourselves. That's where I'd like to begin. What does it mean to be authentic with yourself, about yourself, and, and just how real are we willing to be? That's the setup. Now my guest, Libby Moore. Welcome to KPFK and the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Nice to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Michael. I'm so happy to be here with you having this conversation. Thank you for
0: having me. And you're in Vancouver, a beautiful city in neighboring Canada.
1: Yes, Vancouver, Canada. Um, Just got back yesterday visiting my family in Maryland. So now I'm in a lovely quarantine for two weeks now that I'm back in Canada. So this is the perfect way to kick it off.
0: Well, there are worse places to be quarantined in Vancouver, I'm sure.
1: That is the truth.
0: You were an executive assistant for Jan Werner at Rolling Stone for a number of years, and probably better known having worked for Oprah as her primary go-to person for 11 years. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what it's like to work that closely with Oprah Winfrey?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is it was a gift, uh, and I truly mean that. If that was, um, I was with her for eleven years, and um, I left in G- January first, two thousand twelve. So it's been about eight years since I've uh, moved into a different part of my career, which is coaching, executive coaching, and life coaching. Working with her was, in hindsight, I truly feel like it was an apprenticeship to what I'm doing now and what I've always wanted to do. It was just extraordinary. It's very hard to put that, answer that question in just a couple sentences. It was extraordinary. I learned a lot. My heart expanded. My mind expanded. And I am a better person because of it.
0: Well, I think one of the reasons that Oprah was always as successful as she was and I used to live outside Chicago, so I go way back watching Oprah, you know, all the way back to the Phil Donahue days. And, and uh, the word I would use to describe my impression of her uh, from the beginning was sincere. Uh, the woman's always been a friend to the camera, and you don't feel any distance Uh, I I always think of radio as being a very, very intimate medium and TV a little more off-putting. But through her sincerity and her honesty, her willingness to talk about her own issues and to share her own trials and tribulations, I think people really connected with her. and That's part of authenticity, I think.
1: Absolutely. I feel that's one of her superpower so to speak is to be courageous enough and brave enough to be herself and to be open and vulnerable um she had that show for 25 years it was in 144 countries around the world so to really open her heart and be herself and um share things that most people would not share within their small group of friends um to be that open and vulnerable allowed other people to see themselves in her and to see how she made it through so many adversities and issues in her life. It gave people hope and inspiration. So I do believe that's one of the reasons why she was so successful is because she was open and vulnerable and we were learning along with her as she was learning to be um, a better version of herself. We all learned along with her to do our best to be a better version of ourselves. I I I felt very inspired by that.
0: Me too, as a, as just a viewer, speaking for myself, but I think a lot of other people. We felt like we were along with her on the journey. All you guys, you behind the scenes folks, of course, as well, mm-hmm. on some sort of journey. We didn't know exactly, it was sort of like that car trip she took with Gail. We didn't know exactly <laughs> where they were going or how they were going to get there. But, uh, you know, it wasn't about the destination. It was about having fun along the way.
1: Right, absolutely.
0: Now, you take this to business. Now, this is one of the many things that you coach executives and and, uh, CEOs all the way down, supervisors, managers. How amenable are women and men in business now to this concept of authenticity, do you think?
1: I feel they're very open to it. And even beyond the actual individuals, it's actually the HR and people teams that are very open to it and seeing the importance of it. So so I'm backing up a little. When I started doing the life coaching and then started doing more executive coaching, in my morning meditation and prayer, I would ask, how do you coach a company as if it's an individual? That question kept popping up for me. And to make a long story short, what came back is you teach people how to love themselves. You remind people how to love themselves. And when that individual walks into the office, they're going to be a different employee, a different manager, uh, create a different work product. And that, of course, energetically ripples out to the customers, the clients, everyone. So I thought, wow, what if you have everyone doing that? So in, a, uh, in 2016, and not that this is an original thought, through asking in meditation, what came was love X, which is bringing the energy of love back into business. So how do you So in some cases I would get in as, um, be hired as a executive coach, but the way I coach is not traditional at all. And it seems to be, it, it is very successful with the people that I'm working with. I'm not the only person coaching this way. It's reminding people who they are, the power that they have within them, and these simple exercises on how to stay in alignment with that to the best of their ability on a daily basis.
0: Listening to you, the word integrity comes to mind, and I think many of us fear that all institutions in our society, not merely business, but government, media, sports, organized religion, is increasingly corrupt. And there is, it seems to me, a snowballing effect that we've seen recently where people look around and they see more and more corruption, less and less regard for, use, use the word love, I'll say respect of others, and trust. And so it gets easier to just throw in the towel and say, well, they're on the take and they're cheating on their taxes. They have no interest in the impact on the environment Of the products that they, why not me? Why shouldn't I just, you know, jump in and grab my piece of the pie? Tell me I'm wrong about this. (laughs) Tell me, please, Libby, it's not true.
1: (laughs) Well, I can only speak from my, my own experience in this, and I feel that that's always been the case since big business has always been around. There's always been a level of corruption or you know whether it's in in business or in a community a tiny little town you know there's all these layers it's all on different um scales for me and i i certainly don't have all the answers i'm still figuring this out for myself like there is no finish line to all this stuff as you know so well Um, interviewing all thousands of people for so many years around this topic. And I feel what it comes back to is ourselves. So, of course, you can get in on that if you want to. There's a certain formula that you can be successful in the corporate world. And I'm not saying that all companies are this way. There's a certain formula. And that formula, in most cases... Um, includes uh, putting your integrity, your ethics, your morals aside, if you want to make it to a certain level. I'm not saying all companies, a lot of companies. And you get to make that personal choice if you want to take that route or not, to get the the money, the power, the material things. And at the fork in the road, you can also choose, that's not for me. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to contribute to that. So and believe me, I made a lot of mistakes when I worked with, uh, whether it was Oprah or Jan Wenner or Mari Povich or all the different jobs I had in movie theater and, you know, Boulder, Colorado. I've done so many different things in my my life. And um, we're constantly at a fork in the road of decision. Every day, we have lots of little micro moments where you hit that fork in the road. And you can choose to go with the, fl- with the sheep, you know, what everyone's doing or what you think you have to do to get, get ahead. Or... You can take that deep breath, low exhale, and set, make the decision. I'm going to stick to what feels right for me. And there were a couple of cases, um, you know, in particular when I, in, in I, it's not even just with Oprah, it's all of those jobs where I thought this isn't right. And if someone asked my opinion, or in some cases, I would offer my opinion to say, this doesn't feel right. It's not in alignment with what, who we say we are. And You know, in the case of television, if ratings, we all know what ratings it's, you know, in television, sometimes it's the crazier it is, the higher the ratings. And what I really admire about Oprah is when she decided to get out of all that craziness, you know, in the 90s, or um, yeah, the 90s when the talk shows were getting all crazy and she decided, I am not doing that. Um, And the ratings did dip and all the producers were saying, you have to do it because that's what gets ratings. But she decided, no, I'm going to do change your life television. And when they first came out, everyone tuned in, but then people tuned away and started going to Jerry Springer and all these other shows to see the salacious, crazy stuff that was happening. But eventually people got sick of that and they migrated back to feeling good. They knew if they turned on Oprah for an hour, they would feel good and inspired after that hour hour of TV. So that's a great example. I feel like from what she chose to do, I can choose ratings, money, power, advertising, or I can choose what feels right for me. And she chose what felt right for her. And that is the reason I believe that she just shot to the top and was the number one show for 25 years by going with the road of integrity and what felt right for her. I think
0: we do see examples of that in business. And I mean, big business where, and again, there's a cynical side of me, a little voice in my head that says, yeah, well, they're just really still interested in profits. And so if they're going to take a, socially progressive position on let's say voter suppression and so major league baseball is going to move the all-star game to colorado or whatever um and we see that in in other areas where big business is quick to jump on some political position not because it's a partisan a democrat versus a republican position but just because it's really, truly in keeping with American values. But again, uh, this nagging cynic in me says, well, it's all bottom line. That's the only reason they're doing it. So I guess what I'm asking you, Libby, is beneath the appearance of authenticity, is it real?
1: I believe it is. Well, in that case, I mean, um, if you're speaking, are you asking about in general or specifically the the example that I used with The Oprah Winfrey Show?
0: You answer any way you wish.
1: Okay. There's a lot of companies that do it for just, they think they have to do it in order to get, um, to be, you know, approved or liked by the public or to buy your products. I feel one of the things that we loved about The Oprah Winfrey Show is because we felt that it was genuine. And it was. I mean, from my experience of being there for 11 years, um, you know, it it really, before every show or with the producers, why the producers wanted to do a show, Oprah would ask, what is your intention for this? So it really was coming from a higher place. And there are about 800 people that work at that company, worked at the company at the time. So you've got 800 different personalities and life experiences and childhoods that create different people. So there's no such thing as perfection. I feel that everybody did the best that they could. And um I would say the same is true for a lot of corporations, you know. There's um I work with Chobani and I I love who they are as a company and they have the highest integrity and they're always doing the right thing for their employees. And it's a company. So there's some c- companies that are just, it's about bottom line and that's it, and they don't care about integrity and morals and things like that. And then there are other companies that are doing the best that they can to stay in alignment with their higher self and see what comes out of that. I think Patagonia is another good one.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of backpacking, and I would, I would patronize Patagonia in part because they had really good products, but also because they've always had this ethic of... uh Well, caring for the environment, but more than that, caring for their employees Mm -hmm. who are encouraged to care for each other and bringing a kind of a family atmosphere to a very big corporation. You say you do that in your executive coaching by emphasizing the idea of self-love. How do you teach people to do that without... Being egotistical. I mean, I think self-love sort of begs the question, which self do I love?
1: That's such a good question. I think it's interesting that we as human beings have been conditioned to believe that self-love is egotistical. And I, look, I grew up in the Episcopal Church as an Episcopalian, and I'm grateful for that foundation. I don't identify as an, an Episcopalian now. I mean, my mom would be horrified to hear that. Um, I am so grateful for that foundation where my faith began and my understanding of something bigger than me. And, and as I got older, that expanded through different books or experiences, Shakti Gawain's creative visualization, you know, all these different things coming into Oprah's world. She just took my mind through suggesting different books like um, Discover the Power Within by Eric Butterworth. But is that right? Butterworth, Eric Butterworth. Um, Fantastic book. So through all these experiences and books and workshops and the Omega Institute in upstate New York and Esalen in California and all these different experiences, I keep expanding on what my belief is. Um, And I think I totally lost track of where we were headed about your question (laughs) as I
0: got into that. Which self? We have an ego self and we have a soul self. There's a higher self. And how do you teach that to an executive who, again, without veering into organized religion?
1: Yeah. So, number one... In the intro call, I always ask the person, do you believe in a higher power? Some people call it God, source, universe, Allah, jaw, nature, cosmos, you know, or, or your higher, You do you believe in, you know, yourself, your good decision-making? There's a million different ways you could answer that question, and there's no right or wrong, and then they tell me what they're what they believe, and some people say, yeah, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. Some people say, you know, I believe in something, I don't know what it's called, but I do believe in something. Other people say, I think it's my decisions. That's it. There's no God or anything. So depending on how the person answers that question, that gives me their natural languaging. And that's what I base the whole coaching around, whatever that word is. Because I really believe that we're all talking about the same thing and arguing over what to call it. So we're missing the whole power and magic and um, alignment with it, so to speak. So- it's very, the coaching that I do, also this came through meditation was simplify, 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 strip it down, make it super simple. This is not complicated stuff. And so it begins with the deep breath, slow exhales. And of course, physiologically, that's turning off the cortisol in your brain when you're stressing and blah, blah, blah. We all know that. And physiologically, your body is feeling better. And I believe something else is happening that I don't know how to explain it. We've all been trying to figure out how to explain it since the beginning of time. And that is through the deep breath in slow exhale, through the conscious, really taking a deep breath in through your nose, holding it for a few seconds at the top, and then a slow exhale. As you do that, two, three, maybe four times, you're, taking, you're getting out of your brain, out of your head and up into alignment and recalibrated with this energy, this source, this vibration, this frequency. Whatever you want to call it, God, Allah, Jah, or my best decision making capacity. That's what the deep breath, low exhale is doing. And in that clean, clear place, you're in alignment, you're recalibrated, you're tapped in, and the answer comes to you.
0: I love that idea of being in alignment or creating a path of least resistance, uh, yoga, opening the chakras. Uh, theosophy standing open and receptive to the downward impress. There's so many beautiful ways of saying that. Uh, even in the uh, Jewish and Christian uh, Islamic traditions, Abrahamic traditions, the idea of prayer is often misunderstood, I believe, as petitioning God, as opposed to the idea that Prayer does not move God. It moves you into an alignment <laughs> mm-hmm. and a receptivity of uh, what's unmovable and always available, mm-hmm. if we would, but uh, align with it. That's a great concept. Yeah. Uh, like un- unkinking the garden hose and suddenly yes, here it comes, right? Yes. Let's take a short break, and we'll be right back with more. My guest is Libby Moore, executive coach and assistant and life coach, and we're talking about authenticity and uh, doing our best, I think, to be as genuine and authentic about it as we can. So uh, stay with us. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, and my guest today, Libby Moore, and we're talking about life coaching, business coaching, executive coaching. And moreover, our theme is authenticity. What does it mean to be real? If you're asking somebody to get real, be honest, tell me the truth, how do you how do you truly feel? And who are you? These are questions that I think merit being asked of ourselves. I'm not sure I said that very well grammatically, but shouldn't we ask ourselves Hey, Michael, are you being authentic? Are you being real? Because I think the ego is a trickster, Libby. I think it likes to dress up like the higher self and pretend that it's righteous, but then righteous to a fault or spiritually oriented, but then there's a lot of I, me, mine in all of that. So I asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you in terms of motivation, why we do the things we do maybe even why we think and why we feel the way we feel to get a better understanding of who we are before we reflect on who's this person I'm presenting to the world. How would you coach me or others to begin to do that?
1: Well, one in the coaching that I do when I, when I'm talking with people, um, I always say, I'm not a therapist, which I'm not, I'm not a trained therapist. This is not therapy. It can enhance your therapy, but it should not replace it. And we always touch on big moments from their childhood, usually that traumatic moment, whether it's, um, you know, divorce or sexual abuse or, you know, m- mental abuse, being ignored. There's so many things that happen to kids from birth to 18. And almost all of us Uh, that's where our self is being developed. Of course, our brain doesn't fully form until we're 25 or 26. So in the coaching, I do touch on these traumatic, we connect the dots backwards to childhood to understand where that feeling began or that belief began. And then we quickly come right back to current day with that understanding. Oh, this is where it began. Whatever that trauma is, that stumbling block. I'm not worthy. Classic one. I'm not lovable. And then we move forward from from that place in the way that that I coach the person. So it's really, I mean, some people think it's too simple, but our thoughts do create how we feel about ourselves. So if there's this deep seed of I'm not worthy. So in my case, for example, I knew I was gay since I was at least 10, but I didn't come out until I was 27. And I grew up in this very small community of 3,000 people, very conservative Christian community. And I believed that I would not be loved as a gay person or accepted by my family and friends. That was just my belief. So by the time I was um, 21 and in college, I just graduated from a two-year school, You know, I probably gained 65 pounds and couldn't stop, you know, would numb my feelings with alcohol and food and gay. So it was very heavy. The life of the party, drinking a lot of alcohol, eating a lot of food uh, always, and numbing myself, believing I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. People won't love me as a gay person. So I have to keep this a secret. And eventually, when you tell yourself that from 10 years old to about 21, you know, uh, and I was the ultimate people pleaser, trying to please everyone not loving myself, not believing in myself at all. And I tried to end my life in a drunk driving accident, which I survived. Thank God. That is why I do the work I do today, because I understand how detrimental those little seeds planted at birth, you know, in your childhood, what kind of Oak tree it can grow into later in your life, unless it's managed and kind of, you know, taken down. So, To me, being your authentic self is everything. And once I did come out at 27, that's when the weight melted off of me. That's when I started being more of myself because I saw that my family and friends still loved me and appreciated me. And in some cases, people were even more interested in me than they were before. So to me, that is why I do this work. And there's no finish line. I'm 55 years old. I'm still peeling back the layers on who am I? You know, who am I? beneath this, this exterior where that I'm an executive coach or, you know, all this stuff.
0: I went through a long period in my life where I had no idea even what I was doing, much less why, where I uh, found myself needing to be the, uh, the wise guy, the smart aleck, the fellow that used humor, not only as an attention-getting device but to sort of find a place to stand within my ego nature and I began to recognize it as really a defense mechanism and also my anger and frustration with politics or social injustice had more anger in it than love or passion For what i claimed to be passionate about that too it turned out at least in my perspective to be a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. because i didn't know who i was and i didn't know what i was for i had as you just explained a set of false assumptions that's what i call them that i had made about myself based on you know the way i was parented the things that were said to me Not we love you and your behavior was bad and inappropriate, but you are bad. You are a rotten little boy. I don't know why I ever had kids, that kind of stuff. Mm. But peer pressure, uh, sibling rivalry. uh, It could be a school teacher, a bus driver, a camp counselor, a, a stranger on the street that mocks you for this or that. And I think what it speaks to is this deep fear of inadequacy that we all have and that we all know. It's like that Robert Heinlein book from the 60s, Stranger in a Strange Land. I guess I always felt like a stranger in a strange land, like I didn't quite fit in, or this world is not made for sensitive people. So butch up, right? Toughen up. I said that to my wife once. Uh, She was complaining about something, and I said, well, that's tough you know, too bad. And she stopped and looked at me and said, why would you say that to me? And I paused for a second and I thought about it. And I said, well, that's the way I talk to myself. Why don't you comment on that?
1: Yeah. You know what? God, Michael, I feel the real pandemic in the world right now is... This lack of love for that we have for ourselves—it's um, this this internal kind of beating ourselves up. It's a we can in our mind what we tell ourselves, and how do we know where was that learned? It's learned behavior from what was modeled for us by our parents, grandparents, whoever raised us, what we saw them do, um, and then of course that's how we're that's our earliest education and conditioning is what's modeled for us. Even if we don't understand language, we can feel energy. If you're a little baby and you don't even know how to speak, and a father or mother comes raging into the room and screaming and yelling, vibrationally, you feel that. It's uncomfortable. And that's when our earliest learning is happening and conditioning what's being modeled for us. And then when we go into partnerships with people, whether it's your working relationships co-workers or your romantic partner your you know uh, domestic partner then we start playing all this stuff out and the best thing is just take a deep breath slow exhale before the default of reacting deep breath slow exhale thank you i'll say you know thank you for speaking through me from my heart to her heart thank you for speaking through her from her heart to my heart when I don't know what to say or how to handle myself in a position in a situation, that's what I'll do. And to me, that brings us back to the most clean, authentic, self that we are from, from that place. So I would say you reacted that way, obviously, because that's how you grew up. So how do you know any different until someone like your wife says to you, why would you say that? You know? That's, they're holding a mirror up to us to say, is this who you really are? And is this who you want to be? Um, And then we can choose to change it or not, grow from that or not.
0: Well, the best relationships do mirror us. I mean, even the worst relationships mirror us for that matter.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I think that's one of the grand things about relationship, but you've got to recognize that what you really love about that person is a reflection of your love. And what drives you crazy, what really irritates you about them, is also you. How would you know how would you <laughs> yes. how would you recognize that right? Yeah, that's your issue. I think being exposed to nature helped a lot. I mentioned backpacking. Mm-hmm. I was walking through a mountain. I used to do it alone. I know you're not supposed to, but I always worked on the weekends doing public affairs talk shows and I had the week off and nobody else could go backpacking with me. So I I went alone. And uh, even though it's inadvisable, it was incredible. Um, After two or three days out there, all the monkey mind noise falls away and you actually start to hear and see. And looking around one day in this meadow with all these wildflowers and the trees and the birds are singing and the animals are scurrying here and there, and I realized there's nothing here that is not perfect. There's nothing here that's not beautiful. In fact, I would sooner point my camera at a misshapen tree that was asymmetrical and all burned up one side Then this perfect symmetrical tree over here, I didn't want a picture of that. I wanted this ugly, scarred, imperfect, but I began to see the perfection in the imperfection, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if if there's never been an ugly flower, or if you go deep enough, uh, an ugly rock or stone or pebble— or a a mountain stream that went the wrong way, then why am I judging myself Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so harshly? React to that, if you would.
1: I love that thought. And I love that you mentioned the importance of nature and how it really brought you right back to yourself. Um, As a matter of fact, not a coincidence that I just watched this movie online yesterday called Earthing, Earthing, I-N-G. It's a documentary about the importance of Standing barefoot on the earth. Have you heard of that? No. Grounding. It's another word for grounding. Basically, in the electromagnetic current in the earth and how important. Oh, I understand
0: is. the concept. I didn't. Yeah. I don't know about the film. Oh,
1: yeah. So that you would love it. It's called earthing. So the reason why I'm bringing that back is I remember when I left the job with Oprah, um, January 1st, 2012, when I decided to take a year off to reconnect with myself because I was running 24 seven for 11 years, which was a phenomenal experience. And I was exhausted. I just burnt myself out. So I took a year off to reconnect with myself and my family and my friends and really decide what am I gonna do next? Because I had no idea. I didn't wanna manage anyone's life again. I was done being an assistant, no more chief of staff. Like I didn't wanna do that. And I really went into prayer And said, okay, show me what to do, show me what to do. And in that year that I took off, I spent a lot of time in nature. And um, what popped into my head is nature is the new corner office. Little did we know that that would actually be true when the, uh, you know, COVID hit and we all had to work from home and, or you could just get an RV. And if you had a laptop and a phone, a lot of people could still do their business. And wow, nature really is the new corner office. Um, And then just maybe six months ago, walking through nature here in Vancouver, which is stunningly beautiful, the thought came, nature is the new corner office and the truth is in the trees. So just being walking in nature, it opens up your mind. As you said, monkey mind calms down and you're in alignment with trees and grass and sunlight and birds and insects and soil, earth. There's a whole energy that lifts you up. And in that clean, clear place, that alignment, that's when the universe can speak to you, when your higher selves can speak to you, when God can speak to you, whatever you want to call it. That's where you're so tapped in and in alignment and clean that you can hear the messages that want to come to you. Um, I, I think it's one of the most important things we can do right now in our own well-being and self-love to to give ourselves time in nature or at least take our shoes off and walk in the grass. I call it B2B, not business to business. It's back to basics. That's what we all need to do right now.
0: (laughs) So here's a question that at once is simple and extremely complex, I think. Let's say we come to a place in our lives where we're burned out, like the experience you described. Um, or uh, frustrated, you know, just filled up to here, can't handle it anymore. My kitchen counter is full. I've got all the gadgets and the gimmicks and and, uh, the stuff, you know. I've, I've spent decades acquiring stuff, and now I'm dragging it to the curb and trying to give it all away. Voluntary simplicity, that kind of thing. Life has to be about more than produce and consume, earning and spending. What do we do, Coach, when we get to that point? How do we decide for ourselves authentically what are the alternatives to being a cog in that great machine?
1: My answer would be it's different for everybody. And the way you get to that for yourself is to simply do uh, on, a, on a regular basis, the deep breath, slow exhales. So even if you're not a meditator, it doesn't matter. Just do the deep breath, slow exhales and say in your mind to your higher self, whatever you want to call it, thank you for showing me the next step. Thank you for showing me where I can be of service for the greater good. Thank you for showing me what to do in this moment right now. And you continue doing the deep breath, slow exhale, and usually the answer comes. That that is literally the coaching that I do with people. And in the beginning, people kind of roll their eyes and think, this is too simple. This isn't, and now, once they're now that people are in the habit, they're doing it for themselves. You don't need a coach. You you it's so simple, and it's different for every single person. So I would say it's through the deep breath and the slow exhale which we all know if we stop breathing, we die. So you're consciously drawing in life force energy and you're releasing, you're drawing in and releasing, getting yourself up into this higher frequency, this higher intelligence, whether you believe it's your mind. For some people, that is the answer. For some people, it's God. And there's a million other names we could call it. It sounds so simple, but I promise you, if you do this, the deep breath, slow exhales and say, thank you for showing me what to do right now. It comes. And then the more you see it happen, the more you want to do it. It's like when people lose their keys and they start going, oh my God, where's where's my key? Where are my keys? I put them here. And your monkey mind has 12 hamster wheels going. And you can't even think straight. If you just stop and take a deep breath, slow exhale, do three in a row. Oh, they're on the kitchen counter. It just pops in like that.
0: I think we're confused by believing that the problems in our lives are about how do I get what I want when in fact I find the real problem is what is it that I want and who is the I doing the wanting? I think we have to go deeper than how do I get it? What do I do? Hey, what do you think I should do? Well, what do you want me to do about it? I don't know what to do, to do, to do. Mm about what? Do you know really what you want? Do you know why you want it? And do you know the individual doing the wanting? These to me are the more fundamental questions.
1: Michael, can I share a quick story with you? Please. That uh, that really changed my perception of life and what I'm doing here. So it was about a year into the job working with Oprah. I was completely overwhelmed, you know, I would come in at 6 a.m., leave or anywhere from, you know, 10 to midnight that first year, just trying to get my head around things, 250 emails a day. Um, and I just remember one night just just looking at all these unread emails and just started crying. I was completely fried. I wasn't sleeping enough. I was overwhelmed. And I really didn't know if I had what it took to do this whole, this job. And I, in my mind, I was saying, I can't do it. I can't do this. I can't do it. I just can't do it. This is too much. I can't do it. And I heard this voice. This is the only way I can describe it. It was, I heard this voice. It was like in surround sound and it was not male and it was not female. It was just a very neutral voice. And it said, you're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to let me do it. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to let me do it. And I literally said out loud, oh my God. To me, for me, how I needed to get it, that was an epiphany. And in that moment, what I understood for myself, and I believe this is it for human beings, we are supposed to open ourselves up, meaning put our brain aside almost, our intellect, our education, everything we've learned, almost put it over here and let it sit it on this little park bench, open ourselves up and allow this higher intelligence to flow through us, to see with our eyes, listen with our ears, be our thoughts speak with our voice experience with our heart feel with our touch walk in our shoes guide us direct us wrap around us protect us boom you're in it and and I swear to you every morning since that moment when I would go to work I'd get in the cab to go to work and I'd say this little prayer this intention thank you for using me and flowing through me show me what to do and that took all this weight off of my shoulders and I would do the best that I could to allow that vibration that energy God, source, universe, to use me and flow through me. And that's what we can all do. You don't even have to call it God.
0: Again, I go to nature. uh, I don't think the acorn worries about whether it knows how to be an oak tree, you know, or, or whether the apple tree worries about whether it'll have good enough apples. Right. It just allows and understands its nature perhaps better than we do.
1: Yes, life. I feel like we get lost in the chaos and swirl of life. It's like the shell game where we're all staring at these three shells. Where's the marble under the shell? You know, it's like a trickster on a street corner trying to keep you distracted with Facebook, Instagram, you know, social media. Am I good enough? Money, all this crap to keep us distracted from, oh my God, we are so powerful. When we're in alignment with that energy, no one can touch us.
0: Gosh, what a wonderful conversation this has been, getting to know you and listen to you uh, and and for my part to see you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much, Libby. When we talk about executive coaching, you do life coaching for individuals and couples as well, right? How can folks get more information? Do you have a website that you can share with us?
1: Yes, my website is uh, Libby Moore, M. So it's L-I-B-B-Y Moore, M-O-O-R-E.com, uh, LibbyMoore.com. And you can contact me through my website. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and that's pretty much it. I, I don't, I'm, I've never been on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. I'm just pretty old school. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, uh, thank you so very, very much.
1: Michael, thank you.
0: And I hope we can uh, chat again down the road.
1: Uh, Thank you so much, Michael. This means a lot to me. I appreciate you having me
0: on. Thank you. Libby Moore, my guest on KPFK. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I've got a few more minutes here. I want to talk about the conversation that I just had with Libby Moore every week. In fact, the theme of this particular radio show is the study of consciousness. And when Libby was talking about aligning with the higher self, that's often called higher consciousness. The idea that we can transcend our animal nature, that we can move beyond reflexive instinct-based behavior to a level of expanded awareness that includes some rather exalted ethics and values, a more refined sense of who we are and uh, the kind of person that we can be. And so we have the word conscious. We also have a very similar word, conscientious. And then, of course, there's the word conscience. I'd like to talk about all three of these words in the few minutes we have left here. Consciousness is really a level or a state of awareness, it's how awake are you? How alert are you? How mindful are we? Do we notice what we're doing? Do we pay attention? Do we see beyond the appearance of things, beyond the surface, to deeper meaning, to allegory and symbolism, and again an expanded level of understanding? And of course, how conscious we may be varies from time to time. I don't mean conscious like awake rather than asleep or aware of what's going on as opposed to being in a coma. I'm talking about how conscious are we of what's going on around us. You know, that experience I'm sure we've all had at some time of sitting at a red light and it turns green and Although we're looking right at it and and waiting to move through the intersection, somebody behind us has to tap the horn to let us know that the traffic light turned green and we can move ahead. During that period of unawareness, it's not that we're unconscious, it's just that we're less conscious or perhaps conscious of something else. Our minds have drifted off. But there's also the implication that less conscious means to be unaware of the implicit values and ethics of what it means to be a human, not an animal interested only in self and survival, to behave, as I said a minute ago, simply on reflex and instinct, but to lift our gaze, to be aware of our impact on other people, responsible for ourselves, but also for the way we touch other people. To recognize that we're not alone, that we're part of a family, a community, a nation state, and a world. That lack of awareness, that lack of consciousness is behind so many of our problems, from environmental collapse, climate change, and global warming, to international warfare, and our tolerance of injustice, poverty, unemployment, and homelessness even food insecurity for fully 20% of American children. That's rarely discussed. It's pretty shameful that one in five children in America don't know where their next meal is coming from, and their parents have to spend a significant amount of every day trying to figure out how to feed the family. In one sense, that's a failure of monopoly capitalism having pretty much devoured free enterprise But it also speaks to consciousness and that we tolerate it, that we're largely unaware of it. We may even ignore or deliberately deny the gross injustice of poverty and racism, of misogyny and xenophobia, especially in a country that aspires to be a great democracy born of an ideal. We just celebrated the 4th of July. I look at the flag and I wonder now, what does that represent? Or maybe better said, how many different ideals does that represent? I think of 140 policemen and police women injured on January 6th in Washington, D.C., many of them by flagpoles that had American flags attached. I think of the American flag waving over wars that were based on lies. Vietnam and Iraq stand out, but there are others. And beyond the word conscious and consciousness is conscientious and conscientiousness. And this is an embodiment of these values in an orderly and well-reasoned manner. To be conscientious is to be responsible, to make every attempt to do what's right to work for truth and justice goodness and beauty and how do we know what's right well there are laws and rules and regulations there are standards and principles and guides and yet this brings us to the third word conscience looks like con (laughs) science like with science but it would be the science of the heart if it were about science Conscience is that still small voice, that intuitive sense that tells you the difference between right and wrong. You know, Jiminy Cricket in the Pinocchio story, at least as portrayed by Disney, in the original story, Jiminy Cricket is a little more complex character, but when it comes to the idea of letting your conscience be your guide, we, many of us, think of the symbol of Jiminy Cricket sort of an icon, really. And in that sense, there is personal conscience, and then there is cultural conscience, and yet above that, a kind of a universal conscience. I mean, some things are generally accepted as just wrong. You don't kill other people, unless perhaps in self-defense, virtually all violence is illegal, unless justified by war, which is always portrayed as defensive. It was after World War II that our Department of War was renamed the Department of Defense, but what are we defending in Vietnam? What are we defending by invading and occupying Iraq? What were we defending in Nicaragua and and El Salvador in the invasion of Panama or Grenada for that matter? In capital punishment really quite indefensible to anyone with a conscience. You know that has to be wrong. You don't prove that murder is wrong by empowering the state to commit legal murder, especially when there's so many innocent people that die. But that speaks to the overlap between a universal sense of what is right and wrong and a cultural conscience and perhaps most importantly the idea of a personal conscience. So I'd like you to reflect on these words as we move forward with this program, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, every Tuesday at one in the afternoon. What does it mean for me to aspire to be more conscientious, to develop my consciousness, and to be aware of my conscience? And let me just end with an appeal to your conscience. This radio station is provided to you free by the internet and by the airwaves. But it costs money to do this. Most of us are volunteers. Part of the staff has to be here every day and broadcast more often than once per week. We have electrical bills, lighting and air conditioning, and a huge transmitter on Mount Wilson broadcasting 110,000 watts 24 hours a day every day of the year. It costs money. Even when you donate to this radio station with a credit card, we have to pay a fee. When you call the phone room during the pandemic, we have to pay people to do that, people who don't even live in California. And so, as you may have guessed by now, my appeal to your conscience as a conscientious person of higher consciousness... (laughs) Help support this radio station with a donation, a contribution. You know we're a non-profit organization, so it's tax deductible. And the most effective way to do that is simply point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. And sign up for the Sustainer Circle. This way, you can choose to have just $10 or $25 a month pulled out of your account. You don't even miss it. You won't even think about it till tax time rolls around, and then you say, Oh, yeah, I've got this uh, charitable contribution to KPFK, to free speech, democratic, progressive radio for all of Southern California and by the internet for the entire world. And so, my appeal is not only to Southern Californians, but to people around the world to donate to this radio station. Do it now, do it again. And do it regularly, or just choose Sustainer Circle at kpfk.org, right? kpfk.org forward slash donate. It's easy, and you'll feel better about yourself because you know it's the right thing to do. Thanks for being with us, and uh, join us next week. We'll have another great show for you about consciousness. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner on KPFK in Los
1: Angeles.